You are listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I just want to, before we get started, let everybody know next week we're going to be in Dallas, Texas for the Congress for the New Urbanism. Uh, They've been kind enough to invite me to set up a, a podcasting station in the media room. And we've lined up 21 different uh, podcasts we're going to do over the course of the three, four day Congress. And so next week uh, on the blog, actually, and here in the podcast stream, we're just going to be releasing a ton of content. Uh, I'm going to take a week off after that, give you a chance to, to catch up. Uh, so if you see your, your stream being flooded with stuff, go back. There's going to be, uh, you know, almost a couple dozen different episodes. You're going to want to check out all those. They're going to be really good interviews. Today, I have actually in studio here, uh, council president from my hometown, Brainerd, Minnesota, uh, a guy named Gary Sheeler. Uh, Gary is on the council for his second time. He was on a few years ago and then ran again now and is back on the council. We've got a number of local projects going on that I know are of interest to you, our listeners, and certainly interest me. I invited him to come in and talk about him. Gary's always been generous with his time. He is the hardest working council member in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> and I wanted him to come in. He, I knew he would if I invited him. So Gary, welcome. Welcome to the strong nuts podcast. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Chuck, for having me here. And thanks for all the people that listen and, and follow Chuck. He's got a lot of great ideas and, uh, he's got a great show and he's very entertaining. Well, so. I appreciate that. Um, South Sixth Street is the project we're working on right now. And our debate will be, I'm going to call it Business 371. Right. Maybe that's the first. I I wanted to give you an opportunity to describe South 6th Street, Business 371, because we do call it a different thing. And I think the reason we call it a different thing is because we look at it differently. Um, Why don't you describe this corridor in your words and kind of why, you know, what, what you see its value to the city as? Well, what happened happened, you know, we had a bypass that went through another city, the city of Baxter. And Business 371 then, um, which, you know, it was 371. 371 went through Baxter. We ended up, you know, getting a bypass that went around us. And for the business sakes and all the business downtown, um, back in early 2000s, I'm going to say maybe even late 1999, when the state of Minnesota said, okay, we've got the new highway going through Baxter. The highway that comes through your town, we're going to rename, and they gave us a bunch of uh, numbers. I adamantly said we would lose Brainerd's identity. We are not going to take a different number and call it a different highway. So um, with lots of arguments and lots of, you know, just working with, we finally got it to be called Business 371 so that when you came you know, heading north, you, you know, you saw the right-hand turn heading into Brainerd. You see the big sign that says Business 371. Brainerd has a lot of businesses, a lot of downtown businesses. And if people were coming up from the Twin Cities, which is two hours away, and wanted to find Brainerd, they would find it. Um, I know that MnDOT's argument was that they don't like two highways named the same, and that's why it's called Business 371, because of the 911 System. If there was a 911 call, they would be screwed up which highway they should jump on. Sure. So 
that that is the beginning of it and I know I when we got it I made sure that the airport because I didn't want to lose Brainerd to Baxter <clears throat> I made sure the sign was down there when you turn onto business 371 that the airport heads that way the hospital heads you know this way and then the big sign of business 371 so that people in Brainerd did not lose anything with the bypass going to Baxter so so just so everybody's clear we have two different cities Brainerd Baxter yeah Ever since I was a kid, the highway ran through the middle of Brainerd. Yes. It, it, it ran right through, uh, you know, through Brainerd would hit essentially uh, an east-west corridor, yeah. uh, which was Highway 210. Yes. And then it would, you know, veer west through town, out to Baxter, and then head north. In, And I worked on little bits of this back in the day. It was like 98, 99. Yep. Uh, the bypass was built. Uh, highway 371 now runs totally through Baxter. Yes. Uh, and all that traffic, essentially, all that through traffic goes about three, four miles west of town th through the other city. And we have now the old remnant of the, the old highway, which we've called Business 371, South 6th Street. Uh, that runs through the middle of town. And now what's the issue that we're dealing with today with this corridor? Well, I guess, you know, because... A lot of people in town felt being the bypass went through Baxter and the Baxter's growth that went with it, tremendous amount of growth for those that are listening. But Baxter got the the Home Depot, the Walmart, the Target, Cost. the Costco, Costco. the all, all that stuff. All that stuff went out to Baxter along the, the bypass. Yeah, as soon as that bypass went there. So all of the, you know, and I'll go back later to why some people, you know, I feel that that's, that's beneficial into a city. But... Um, when we went with the business 371, what was the question real quick back? No, I just I, – I wanted to let people know, like, there's an issue in front of us today. Yes, the narrowing of the business 371. The recon, You know, where MnDOT has come to us, the state DOT, and said, we're ready to – you know, we got to do a project to fix this. we got to reconstruct it. And the issue in front of us is, do we reconstruct it with the current five lanes, which is what it was as the old highway – or do we do some type of different project? So that that's been what's in front of you guys. I love the the idea of your aesthetics. If you know, and basically, I think that's a great idea. You know, is it practical in this case? Um, you know, and is it kind of saying Brainerd is doomed? And them are the things that were questioned about by the business world. The business world does want the five lanes. There's still twelve thousand five hundred cars a day on that route. You know, and I had checked with Growing County. And they said, you know, the lowest count they found somewhere is 11.6. But I feel there's still going to be continual growth in Brainerd. And at 12.5, I really see this highway taking on more and more cars and more motorists coming through town. So I don't like to see the narrowing and deetering or making traffic go to some other avenues like going to Baxter or taking some of our side streets and or some of our county roads because we narrowed this major corridor coming through town. We're very unique here in Brainerd because we have a river that runs parallel with this highway. Uh, we've got, you know, the bridges, and we also have a railroad system that runs, you know, east-west across. So, I mean, for us, our major corridor is this Business 371. We lose that, and I feel we lose our town. What, what do you think the – because we're now in years 15, 16 yep. since the, the bypass went in. In your opinion, what did the bypass do to the city? It, it, you know, was it a positive? Was it a negative? Uh, what is, what was the result of that? Well, from the financial end of it, it was a negative. 
you know, and I know for those that are, you know, looking at sirens and traffics and, you know, so, some of the issues that you're going to bring up, you know, maybe that was, in, you know, um, a positive because now people can move around a little more freer. But, you know, and I'll just quickly go, when Baxter got the bypass, instantly we charge a half a percent sales tax, um, you know, over and above the regular sales tax just for our local projects. Baxter's sales tax because of this just because of this highway is at 2.4 million compared to Brainerd's 700,000 per year. So obviously Baxter was a, not even a town on the map and now, you know, just there financially, they get a one and a half million dollars a year, just more on that local sales tax. When, when but, I was a kid, Baxter was <clears throat> a thousand people, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, now it's nine, you know, approaching 9,000. Yeah. And yeah, when I was a kid, we had the A and W root beer stand, uh, that that um, carpet place, Deer, Deerland, Deer Forest. Yes. And now that corridor is, I mean, it's been cited. I know recently down at the state capitol as being like this model of success. Right? You've got essentially all the all the national change, all the national big bucks, and they've sucked. Uh, you know, the, the, the transactions from this wide, wide area around all get sucked into, into Baxter. Is that a, yes. The, yeah. yeah. And you're right on. And, you know, I mean, Menards is sitting on the Deerland area. Right. And, um, and these are huge box stores. They're all super sized from other towns. You know, the Costco is one of the biggest, you know, Mills, the Mills family is one of the largest. So everything is really super sized. Not only, you know, we got the big box stores, but they actually super sized over, normal towns so yeah and they have a big draw and it really does hurt the business world because everybody goes to the box stores and it's tough to compete against those right so <clears throat> so we're sitting here as Brainerd yes and we've got essentially the you know what I would call the the subsidized you know I mean not put a hundred plus million dollars into creating this Baxter strip and now we've essentially got to deal with the, the ramifications. So come to us and say, you've got a five lane. If we're going to put it back as a five lane, because we now have these ADA requirements, uh, we actually have to widen it out and buy some more sidewalk space and that kind of thing. Um, and so we're actually looking at making it a, a little bit wider as a five lane, or we, we would entertain, Mindot said we'd entertain a three lane uh, through town. It should be a five to three conversion. The engineers said, we think the three-lane can handle the traffic. I know the business community was very adamant in wanting the five-lane. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what you think the impact would be going from five lanes to, to three lanes? The impact to me is, um, as you're coming into town, and right now, currently, there's, you know, when we talk about five lanes, we've got two lanes going each way and a center turn lane. So basically, it's a four-lane road with a center turn lane. Um, as traffic comes into town, and everybody knows, they use the inside lane, not the right lane, as far as, as you flow into a city and as you come into Brainerd. And basically, I use that lane, and it's called the courtesy lane, um, because basically you kind of leave that right lane open for somebody to make a right-hand turn, and you don't have to get down to 10 miles an hour when they do that. Or if somebody wants to pull out on the right, that allows that traffic to move into that right turn lane without you know, slowing everything down. So I have heard that there's more people in the left lane, and that's just a courteous lane. But when you come up to a stoplight and you've got 12,500 cars a day, and I did a little bit of math, you know, you're talking about 14 cars, you know, per minute. 
um, in, in that range. Um, you know, within two minutes, you've got 28 cars at that light. And now if you n narrow it down to a single lane each way, you've got a stacking issue. And what I don't want is people to say, no, I don't want to come down your business 371 because you've got stacking problems. It's uh, very hard to maneuver around. You don't have right turn lanes. And all of a sudden, we start finding, you know, tourism dropping, our business world, you know, deciding not to invest. Um, and I want to jump into this because i got to really tell you, in the business world, and I'm in that world, um, businesses pay two to three times more property tax than residential. So I cater more to the business in, world. In Minnesota, it's double. Yeah. Right. So if you have a, if you have a half million dollar house and you have a half million dollar business, you pay twice as much property tax with a business as you do a, a residence. Yes. So I cater on business 371 more. I'm listening just because, you know, I'm following the money tree and where the, what, you know, the tax dollars that we receive. And I don't want those businesses to leave or to be discouraged to continue to grow into the downtown area. So I was listening to them. The business world really wanted the flow of traffic. And the other thing that, you know, I'm also in the real estate market, business properties or values are based on traffic counts. You start cutting traffic counts on a business that's taken, you know, on business 371, you cut the traffic counts down and you're going to find that that business value goes down. Now, in the business world, basically, the more cars that go by, the more motorists you got and the higher traffic counts you got, the more value your business has. And the business world worries about that once they invest in that. And if I was selling or buying a business, the first thing I do is look at traffic counts. And I heard this business 371, you know, narrowing down to one single lane each way, which would make a lot of traffic go different directions. And it would bring the traffic count maybe down because we're trying to slow everything down to a crawl. That would hurt the business world and the tax base of Brainerd. Go ahead. One of the one of the arguments that I made is that we have got a lot of um, vacant and, and struggling businesses along that corridor now today. We we've had the, the hotel yes. that is uh, going on auction here next week, I think. Yep. Um, you know, I, I I documented five years ago uh, the, the the bank that is still empty. The a couple of the places that are you know for sale now today that have been for sale for many years. What's the what what's the future for those places with a with a five lane roadway? I mean they they're struggling today. Is that struggling a a, a result? Because I would argue it's a result of the current design being over overbuilt. It seems to me like you're suggesting that the traffic would ultimately help bring those properties back. Yes. First of all, we we went through one of the greatest recessions um, ever. You know, it's going to be noted in history. You know, since two thousand six. You know. Um, the economy really took a hit. Property values took a hit. Businesses taken a hit. So with that, I don't want to just use the last 10 years, and I did see some struggling, and I don't care what town you go in, you're going to see some vacancies. And, you know, and the other issue that we have is the Internet. And the business world has been changing because of the Internet. You know, in, um, in the Internet world, you don't have to pay sales tax. Here in Brainerd, you're going to pay 7.35% sales tax. So a lot of businesses, you know, are not quite caught up with the media and with, you know, the, the network of the Internet as far as doing their business. So business practices are going to have to change, but you're still going to need the traffic volumes because a lot of people still want the hands-on. You know, I was in the business world. They'd come up and they'd, 
would not buy on the internet, but I needed more to market our business on the internet. I think some of the failures I see in the business world is because they're not caught up and going fast enough, you know, um, with the internet sales. And then also, you know, I, we're coming out of this recession and I start to see the banks are, you know, moving a little bit maybe to borrow and help people out. So I felt more of that when I seen the downtown, you know, and the empty buildings more than just, you know, hey, you know, um, because of the five lane or whatever. One of the one of the things that we've struggled with for a long time is the balance between uh, having enough parking and having enough stuff. So, it, you know, every time we had a building burned down in the last month uh, right across from the courthouse. And now I, I saw uh, just recently they they cleaned up that site and it's bare vacant. I don't know what will become of it, but if past is any indication, it will be a parking lot, right? Yeah. And, you know, what, obviously we need parking if we're going to expect people to drive here. Uh, yet every building that goes down, there's less reason to, to drive here for what. How do you? How would you solve that, or how would you address that kind of paradox or that conundrum that we find ourselves in? Well, and we had a very close situation that could have changed downtown forever. And I'm just going to throw it out there that it was it was happening a census um, before they bought pennies and and um, you know the Pomida building, which employ about 450 people in Brainerd. They looked at something downtown. And they were and uh, they were working very hard. And what they were going to do is build a complex downtown that would have parking and then adequate parking for the business world. That fell through, but it went in that direction. It was very positive, it, and that's what I think we need in downtown. First of all, we need a parking ramp, and that would you know bring in the you know the traffic that those businesses need. Parking has always been an issue because the town was designed with horse and buggy with the narrower streets and everything else, you know, through downtown and less parking. And so I still feel that, you know, there is somebody that's going to come in town, you know, not a census or something else that says, you know what, this is a great town. Currently, I feel some of the owners of downtown, you know, have stabbed themselves in, a, in their own foot because how they not, you know, try to enhance the beauty in, and, um, you know, the, the look of our downtown, they just basically just live the way it is and they're kind of used to it. But from, you know, tourists coming in, they go, why don't they, you know, fix this stuff up? So we have some ownership issues too. One of the arguments that I've, I've put forth is that we have, I mean, we have 14,000 people living in the city. The majority of them, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just estimating here, six to 8,000 live within what on a map would be walking distance of the downtown, uh, certainly within biking distance. I mean, you've got some people who live up north uh, on Beaver Dam Road and what have you. But if you live in one of the core neighborhoods, you're within walking for sure and biking absolutely distance of downtown. Yet it's not easy to walk and bike to the downtown. If, if you live in North Brainerd, two or three blocks away, you've got to cross Washington Street. You might have to cross South 6, Business 371. Uh, those are not very friendly places for people. The, the sidewalks there are real narrow. One of the arguments I've made is that, boy, it's real low-hanging fruit. Uh, it, it wouldn't really cost all that much to make those that walk a little easier. And every person that we get to walk to the downtown, uh, boy, we don't have to have a parking spot. We don't have to have a parking ramp. Uh, what, how do you, how do you, what do you think about that argument? I love the argument. You know, I, 
I love the idea. You know, again, I said to him, some, you've got some great, great ideas. But as a business person, and I was going to, you know, just say, okay, who is going to come in my store in that three-block area and buy from me daily versus what do I got to run as a business and get bring all the traffic? What? And I want to jump onto this real quick. 260,000 people moved to the Brainerd Lakes area from April through September, and they move around to the lakes. That traffic flow in the summertime comes right through our city, either on the bypass or right through our city. The old folks that used to you know, always come through Brainerd still jump on and come through Brainerd, look at each side and figure out, you know, hey, you know, what's changed in town? But we still have a tremendous amount of that traffic, that tourism traffic that comes through. That I think you know people got to learn to capture as it comes through town, and that's why I'm you know would like to continue with the five lanes um, because we that flow of traffic and everybody knows tourism traffic is boats, campers, you know fish houses, um, and they're all wide. Some of these are coming in with a truck and a camper and a boat behind. They look like a train, uh, very long. They, they got to maneuver around. All of this is with Class C license. Um, if this was in the commercial world, they would need a Class A to drive that. So these people are not real great drivers, and everybody knows that. Um, you know, you got 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds driving something that's as long as a semi through town. So, you know, you try to keep everything wide and safe for that, but you don't want that traffic to go somewhere else because, you know, as they come into town, they're, they're going to spend their nickels and dimes as they come through town. And then when they're on the lakes, they're going to come back to town. We have a great 4th of July festival that brings in 35,000 people. A lot of those people just come back into town during that 4th of July festival and all through the year. So most of the businesses in Brainerd are, you know, their peaks are from April to September because we do try to capture that crowd. When When we have visitors come to town and we're going to go do the... You know, let's go do some shopping. Let's go hang out. Let's let's go get a bite to eat. We wind up in Niswa, and you know, Niswa is the 15 miles north of where we're at. Uh, it's a two, three block little downtown. You can't drive through there very quickly. It's really congested. It's kind of nasty. You you might have to park three, four blocks out of town and walk in. When you talk about tourism. I, I, there's a part of me that says, I, I don't know. I mean, are, are we capturing the tourism market now today? And how much of, you know, how much of the, I agree with you, the Brainerd Lakes area is a tourist destination, but how much is Brainerd a, a, a tourist destination? Well, I live um, just off of Mill Avenue and I, the traffic that goes up to Cross Lake um, is tremendous. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, totally agree. Yeah, and they, and now that traffic comes up, the, you know, either to Business 371 or Highway 25, which is to the east. But I do see that traffic, and I used to have a business, and I just sold, and I would hear of, you know, all the people that came through town and what direction they came through town. I had a business on the east side of Brainerd. Um, at one time, they just thought the town would never grow that way, but it's, you know, I, I feel it's grown that way, and I did very well. I had good traffic count there, and I needed it. But I would hear from the... The tourism, and, and when I'm talking about tourism, it's not just one week, two week things. These are people that move in in April and leave in September, and they got cabins. We are the land of 14,000 lakes, actually, and we have a lot of lakes in the Brainerd area, and all those cabins are, you know, filled in the summer. And they buy mowers, they've got, you know, I was in the lawn and garden, they would buy everything for lawn and garden, everything for their homes, furniture, and everything else. So, yeah, they would, you know, just buy locally for their cabins here and not bring it up from the Twin Cities. What's the. 
when you when you look at South Six, when you look at Business Three Seventy One, it seems to me there's a trade off in a way between being able to move traffic through quickly without the people perceiving, as you described it, perceiving that there's congestion because of the backup at the signals and that kind of thing. And uh, having a place that people want to visit and, and go to, um, you know, we've got Coco Moon, the nice coffee shop on the corner, and you've got seating outside on the, the one side, but on the South Six side, you've got nothing like that because no one would want to sit out there because it's, it's kind of nasty. The cars are going through really fast and they're very close to you because the sidewalks are narrow and there's no on-street parking. It, it seems to me like one of the uh, indicators of success, let's say, I, I thought years ago would be if we had a bus that went from Madden's and Craigans and Grandview, the, the great resorts that are, that are outside of town on the, on east, on the lake and just ended up in downtown Brainerd. In other words, if those places said, wow, Brainerd is such a great place. Uh, we're going to have a bus that's going to just pick people up here. You can hang out at the resort. You can go to downtown Brainerd, have some nightlife, enjoy it, you know, do some shop, and then come back. There's no such thing, right? No. Well, the number one thing is independence. Everybody wants their own vehicle. You know, they don't carpool anymore. I mean, the independence is so at such a level that going on a bus, you'd almost feel like a hostage. You know, you got downtown and to be like, you know, when, you know, I have to be here. But you're on vacation. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you go on vacation. Yeah, I do. You, you ride buses on yeah. vacation because yeah. you go have a drink and you're partying yeah. and, you know, if, if they'll drive me back to the resort, then what the hell? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll ride the bus. I'm a little spoiled. I do rent a car. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know. But I, I, I know where you're at. Right. I, I'm just, uh, I'm wondering, because Brainerd, there's a lot of really good business owners and they're working yeah. really hard. They're yeah. working really hard. Um, but there is a perception, and I don't think it's—I don't think it's baseless—that downtown Brainerd's a, a you know, a, a predominantly a bunch of dive bars, uh, without you know a, a really nice eating establishment, a, 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 you know, a really nice place where you, like a nice nightclub. It doesn't have some of those things that would attract that tourist community. How much you know, is there? A, is there a path for us to get to that? And, you know, is there a path with Highway 370, you know, old 371 through town being more of a highway? Is that the path to get us to a better downtown, to a better destination? I think so. You know, and everybody in every town has the thoroughfare that goes through town. And, you know, you don't really establish your walking and biking too much. And, I mean, yeah, you want the pedestrian traffic on there and to be as safe as possible. But, you know, you take your major highways, they're not, you know— basically friendly for biking and walking. I'm on the airport commission. If the walkable, bikeable committee comes there and says that we want to make this airport more bikeable, I would say, it would, you know, that's a long reach because, yeah. because of the planes that come in. So we have a balanced city. We do have an airport out here, and we don't make it walkable, bikeable, friendly at the airport for the planes, you know, because of the planes that come in. And same with our railroad. And we have a railroad that comes through town. It's a very active railroad, again, you know, we have these, and then, and I look at our major arteries on our highway similar to that. You know, those motorists are very important as the railroad and as the planes. So, you know, I don't want to get where I'm just trying to take the motorists away, you know, because we want to make it walkable, bikeable. I'm very big on that, but there's just areas for that and there's areas not for that. 
if I live in North Brainerd, yeah. which I've I've been trying to buy a home in North Brainerd for ten years. When my wife and I first got married, there was a great home on Bluff uh, that was um, for sale by uh, by the estate. The widow had passed away, and uh, oh my gosh, I wanted that house, and she wanted nothing to do <laughs> nothing to do with it, <laughs> <laughs> and so it didn't happen. You know, it was one of those. It would have been three years of fixer up, you know, kind of thing, but what a gorgeous place. Um, if I live in North Brainerd, if, if someone lives in North Brainerd, it seems to me like, uh, the cities, the, the way we've laid out and designed this city, uh, has either acknowledged that I want to drive, I have a preference to drive, or as I would maybe put it, uh, it encourages me to drive more than anything else. Once I get in my car in North Brainerd, even though our downtown with our, our businesses that we're, we're trying to support is two, three blocks away. Once I'm in my car, it's almost easier to drive to Baxter. You've got the big parking lots. You've, you know, the, the, the road's really easy to drive. I can drive real quick. I can get there. Uh, I've got to get everything I want in one spot. Have we made, have we put ourselves at a competitive disadvantage and is there a way to reverse that? So, you know, and I, I mean, I can get downtown just as quick as Baxter, and I understand we got the college drive that we just put in, which I think was very essential for, you know, motorists. And, you know, really it was non-commercial motorists that were moving on college drive. The narrower roads and the, and the um, roundabouts. We have three roundabouts on there, which just makes trucking, you know, a nightmare to use, so the truckings do not use that. So College Drive goes back and forth, and I felt that that was a nice artery between the two cities to go back and forth. So I don't, you know, I, I mean, I go to Baxter myself a lot, but there's a tremendous amount of lights to go from east side of Brainerd all the way over to Baxter. I mean, I think there's 14 lights to travel through. So I don't really see it quicker or faster. When I go into Baxter, They've got service roads, baggage roads, and everything else, and you don't you get off the main drive, and then to get back onto the major thing, you know, you have to drive like a mile, you know, on a service road just to get back onto the main highway. So I I see a lot of difficulties there, and this thing around Home Depot right now is huge because you know basically they don't know what to do with that two ten three. Right. So it, it it seems though like our the strengths of Brainerd are way different than the strengths of, of Baxter. Yes. And there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the business community here, a, a lot of the arguments that I, I hear from council members uh, are, are trying to essentially, I think, play to the strengths of Baxter. You know, we, we want to make sure we cater to the people who are arriving by car, make sure there's no congestion in the city, they can get through quickly, as opposed to, and, and there is a little bit of, you know, give and take on this, as opposed to playing to our strengths, which is, boy, we've got these people right here. Uh, you know, they, they do walk, even though it's difficult to walk, we can make it a little bit better. How do you, do you see it that way? I mean, I, well, and you're totally right on the competitiveness. I mean, Aldi's is a grocery store up in this country, you know, and everybody sees the commercials. Um, we would love to have that Aldi's in Brainerd. Right. But again, they decided to go on the most expensive land in Baxter with the highest traffic count. And they go, you don't have the traffic counts and you don't have what we're looking for. And again, we're going back to this traffic count thing. You know, Olive Garden and Applebee's and all this stuff that's been moving out to Baxter. Every time you go, why? And they go, well, you don't have the traffic counts. And, you know, you, um, 
So we need those traffic counts, and so sometimes we end up playing, you know, trying to figure out how to bring that traffic count so they can go ahead and bring one of those businesses in town, you know, that interchange. Sure. What if we can't, though? I mean, I, yeah, I think that's I, the thing I struggle yeah. with is we've got 12,000 cars a day coming through Highway 371. Mm -hmm. the, the theory is that, you know, our business will be successful the, the higher the traffic counts are. What if the traffic counts are just not going to go higher? Do, do we have – is there a point where we have to rethink that approach and say, well, this, this approach isn't going to get us to the promised land. There's a different approach maybe we should – or maybe we should look at other alternatives. At, at what point do we reach that? Yeah, you know, and the competitive spirit in me – is, you know, I don't want to go backwards or saying we can't reach these goals, so I continue fighting for our city, saying, yeah, we can bring in these businesses and continue. And, you know, that drive is what keeps me on the council. And if it's going the other way where, you know, you're just going to let it happen, happen, and it can possibly do what you're saying, um, you know, that's, a to me, a negative for our city. I understand. Okay. I, I understand. I had a, I kind of struggled with what i think you were talking about you know the i, I don't want to put words in your mouth yeah. but the defeatism giving up yeah i think i understand you a little bit better now um because you're actually looking at like if if for me i would argue i think i think 8000 cars a day would be better instead of 12000 if it meant more bike pedestrian traffic more transactions more you know more stuff going on in the city if the cost of that was fewer cars, I'd be okay with that. I look at that as better. You look at that as defeat in a sense, like going yes. backwards. Yes, and I do. And I and because, you know, I'm looking at the tax base. I'm looking at what the city needs. You know, we're working with a $12 million budget um, and what it takes to run a city. And just like a business, if you just start saying, well, I think I can do this business with half the traffic or half the count or half the income, you know, I mean, there are some huge adjustments and failure can jump into that picture quicker going backwards and trying to find a, you know, balance than it is going forward. Adding 10% every year to your business or 10% to the city's growth is, you know, definitely an easy way of saying, hey, we're on the right tra tra track and making money. Uh, probably yeah. the city budget, $12 yeah. million. A, a huge portion of that is is property tax. Uh, actually, um, half. You know, we get half of our income is coming from um, you know local government aid. Local government aid, right? And then the other half is you know the property tax, which is local government aid. Just so everybody knows, is is aid from the state. Yes. One of the things that has kept me up at night or made me think, wow, we really are kind of in a fragile situation, is that money that comes from the state. And while it's been stable the last few years, we can go back to the period of time where we were really struggling, you know, the, the 2008 recession period of time. And that money was deeply threatened uh, down at the state capitol. Yep. Um, we tend to be a fairly conservative place. I'm a fairly conservative guy. I'm not a, a big government person. Uh, and, and I can envision a date in the not too distant future where the people that I would vote for would not support local government aid, where when push comes to shove, that's going to be a, a lower priority for the state. How does that, does, does that keep you up at night the way it keeps me up at night? 
Well, when I first heard it and before I ever got on the council, I mean, I thought, wow, you know, why are we doing this and why can't we be self-sufficient? And then once you're in it, and I'm not saying once you're in it, you just become part of the group. I looked at it and go, there is no way that Brainerd can survive without the local government aid um, because it is half of our taxes. I mean, half of our income that comes in is local government aid, which is over four, it's almost 4.9 million right now that comes in. Um, a, and it's based on all, the, there's 850 cities in the city, in the state of Minnesota. Everybody, you know, pays in a portion, and then there's a formula. And our formula, or the formula that's used, is based on tax base areas. Now, we have the government center downtown. Uh, we have the courthouse, we have the jails, we have, you know, the whole government center, the court, everything down there. That area does not pay any property tax. We also have a lot of churches in town. We also have all the schools in town and a lot of parks. That is all property tax. You know, you're not getting no property tax, but the city of Brainerd is carrying that. And what the government has done is come up with a formula and said, okay, we can enhance. And the formula goes like Baxter doesn't get no local government aid, but we do. Um, after I looked at the formula and how it works, I'm going, yeah, you know, it, it helps us out. And it's also based on deterioration of buildings and, and um, property values, too. You know, if a town isn't growing versus a town that's growing. It's kind of a balanced system just to help us along. Brainerd currently has, you know, the only fire department. Our fire department is over a million-dollar budget a year. We serve the city of Baxter and all of the communities around with our fire department. You know, and we only get half of that from, uh, you know, basically charging out to Baxter. Yeah, and I've argued that yeah. we're subsidizing yeah. all the places around us. Yes. Yeah. You know, and then I look at our library, you know, um, you know, and yeah, we work very hard, but we got the senior center. We've got the Arboretum. We got the airport. We've got a lot of things that we carry here and we are like big brother, you know, in this area, you know, um, everybody counts on Brainerd to be there and we need all the help we can get and we lost the businesses to Baxter our tax base and uh, you know even our sales tax base so i i tend to agree with you in the sense that it would be you said we wouldn't survive it, it would be really really difficult if local government aid went away next year we'd we'd, we'd be in a world of hurt yeah instantly yeah. but what if government local government aid went away i mean i i, I do look at and I, I know you do as yeah. well. You know, you you look at the position the federal government's in, the the debt they have, the way their budget is structured. You look at the state government and just the the persistent structural deficits that the state has, all the obligations that we have, and the accelerating costs of healthcare and uh, you know higher ed and 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 all these things. Local government aid is not going to be the highest priority. Push come to shove. You know, the next recession we have. Low government aid's pretty much the bottom of the list when you line it up with education and everything. Has the city, have you, has anybody at City Hall said, okay, if we had to do without local government aid, what's our contingency? Because that doesn't seem to be an outside, you know, an outside yeah. fantasy. That seems to be something that, you know, has a, has a decent shot of coming to fruition. Yes, and last year um, the tax base, and I'm just going to go with the numbers, was $4.4 million is what we charge the property owners for taxes. That was what we got in, uh, what we levied last year. We went to 4.9 because we're lacking some funds. But our police department currently is $3.5 million, 
was 3.4 million last year, just our police department, 24 officers. And we're only taxing the citizens of Brainerd 4.9 right now. Right. Now we add the million dollar fire department to that, and we're at four and a half million, and all we've so far covered. Public safety. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't got very far. So I sat here and said, okay, let's take this, you know, four to five million dollars that we're getting from local government aid out, and where do we go? We would have to chop our police department in half and our fire department in half. And I, that question I asked Corky straight out, can you survive, you know, with 12 officers? And he just about, like, impossible if you look at the calls that we've got. The fire department was looking at that. And I haven't even got into all the other departments. You know, our park department is a million dollars. Yeah, they're, you know, and you hate to say it, but, yeah, you could probably take a half a million off of that one. Um, but, yeah, it would suffer tremendously, you know. But I went around and I go, even if we did the absolute chop, and I cannot see then that we would be in a world of hurt because we're so dependent on that local government aid and we're so set up on it. that And being big brother, everybody leans on us also that, it, yeah, it would be devastating for the city of Brainerd. And, you know, as, and I'm just going to go quickly. Yeah. As a local elected official, my job, and I, it was, it's really hard. I mean, you, you know, it depends on, you know, and it's like in a ball field, if you're in defense, offense, or what your position is. My position here is, you know, to keep Brainerd active and going, no matter, you know, how people perceive this local government aid. Now, it, can we make Brainerd run on, without it? I, right now, would say I highly doubt it. I mean, right now, with the people we've got in place and how it's run, it would be a bankrupt city. There is no doubt. One of the challenges, and if we look at just like the police department, policing a, and I realize we, we've got the city we've got, so I'm, I'm, not looking, I'm not looking back, I'm looking ahead. One of the challenges with policing a city as large geographically as we have is that you've, you've got to cover a lot of ground. If you look at Baxter, uh, yes, Baxter brings in a lot of sales tax, a, a lot of property tax on 371, but you know we bring in more property tax in our nine blocks of the core downtown than they bring in in, in you know ten times the area along three seventy one They have a very dispersed development pattern which makes it very expensive to provide police protection roads streets sidewalks curb all, all that stuff is I know you've been a proponent of annexation yeah. Uh, and I, I get the transaction, but long term, by having these huge areas that we have to cover, as opposed to having, say, twelve cops covering some blocks where they can maybe get out of a car and walk a little bit, or be on a bike, or or have different kind of responses, having this huge area with only twenty four cops, uh, is there a is there a trade off there? Have have we put ourselves in a position where? Uh, we've adopted an approach that's really, really expensive that our tax base just isn't up to the task for. Well, we're, I think, currently right around 12 square miles. Baxter is 36 square miles. They're a full township. A township is 36 square miles. So the city, they've got quite a bit more area to cover. Um, the reason I went with the annexation, and I'll quickly go over that, and you know I can go on and on about how I was perceiving. I came into the city in 19, or on the council in 1999, sat down, and... I asked our planner, Al Cottingham, what is going on? Why is everything going there? And he said, well, because, you know, the the city is new and everything is moving there. So we had some businesses that did call Brainerd first. Actually, 
our planner at that time, and I was in his office, the calls would come in and he would refer them to the city of Baxter. He would take the call and say, well, go ahead, here's the city administrator's name or number in Baxter, call them, and, and I'm going, wow, you know, you're paying somebody $75,000, $80,000 a year to grab the phone and send them to you to a nearby community. That's exactly what I witnessed. I was really, so I asked why, and he said, where do you put them? He said, Brainerd is 99% developed, so where do you put them? And I'm going, well, then we need some land, you know, so that we can compete against a city that's got 36 square miles. And I said, I, we just can't sit here. The system is, we're all being paid. You know, um, you're being paid 80000 and you can't just pick up the phone. This doesn't work, you know, and send them to another city. So I went and started annexing some properties and friendly annexation, pounded on the doors and said, you know, would you like to be part of Brainerd? Would you, you know, I mean, and I would present our tax base and everything else and how it would help the town um, and try to find some vacant land, um, basically that people could, you know, build on, grow on. The bowling alley is a real good example of it. That was, as actually was going to be planted right next to Menard's. And I and I just seen somebody throw some stones at me about that on one of the blogs, and I'm going seriously, a four million dollar setup coming into Brainerd, bought a raw piece of land, developed it, and brings in that kind of traffic on our east side of town. Great business, great thing to have. And I worked very hard with Shirley and um, Kevin to bring that business on that side of town. Again, that property was you know had to be annexed into town and everything else. My own business on that end of town was out of the city limits. I annexed into town, brought sewer and water in, and, and again, the reason I brought the sewer and water in is because my water had high levels of arsenic in it, and it was unsafe to drink. Uh, there was a spill north, so basically I did it for that. Plus, when you have city water and sewer, you can put blacktop on top of it, where if you have septic and well, you have to stay away from it with blacktop so you can't get the parking that you need and stuff like that. So um, I did a lot of that. I brought in, thir was around 3,300 acres in a four three-year period into the city of Rainer. Bunch of those areas are being developed, you know, north of town. North, north town is one of the developments that are going on. There's another one up on the corner of Beaver Dam Road. The recession has hit. Um, but a lot of those areas are just, you know, on the bubble, ready to take off with development. Housing is very important. We had no land for future housing. And, you know, the Mills family with 640 acres was part of that annexation. They're, you know, right now, because the recession is over, they're looking at, you know, wanting to do something with their 640 acres of uh, housing alongside the river. It's very beautiful down there. And again, the walkable, bikeable, I agree with all of that. But my whole thing was, you know, now we have a place, you know, for the planner to say, hey, here, do some planning, you know, um, do some, do something with this. So I don't think we're overly um, large. I mean, there's still quite a bit of growth. I know the Anderson brothers on the Highway 210 corridor, um, they annexed into the city back in that era. Now, you know, there's a possibility of some growth going up that way, um, you know, some retail, some businesses. So all of that was to bring more revenue in. And I'm a business person, so every way I can bring more revenue into a city, then this local government aid can slide away and we have or set ourselves up for that. So back then, that's what I was working on. The, the thing that I want to ask you, yeah. and I, I think this is the this is the essential yeah, conundrum or the the thing that I struggle with. 
it's very easy when we annex property right away we bring revenue in there's no question about it that, that yeah. next year uh, we've got way more revenue than we had the year before and, and annexation is an easy way to boost revenue, but, but you ran a business and, and you yep. know, it's one thing to boost revenue, but it's another thing to, to boost your bottom line. Uh, have, have we ever sat down and calculated how much cost, how much liability, how many miles of roads, how much, basically w what the cost is in providing service to, to all these places. Yeah, because uh, to me that I look at all those annexations as being cash flow positive in the short term, mm -hmm. but balance sheet negative in the long term, like a big, big drag, uh, because now we have to, you know, fix this road way, way, way out there that has very few people along it and very, very little tax base along it. Well, and to be fair with this, you know, between Mills and between Anderson is a thousand acres. Mills is 640 acres. We have, there's no roads, no nothing. They've, they've annexed back then um, part of that annexation, and they have paid the Brainerd tax, but they have not developed it. It's still woods. It's still out there. And so the city benefited 100% on that property um, with that revenue. Sure, it's just green space with no service. Yes, and the Anderson right. Brothers did that over 10, 15 years ago. Really, they haven't had no service out there and stuff like that. And then the other areas that are developing, which, you know, I mean, that we're, you know, again, we're competing against Baxter with housing and the business world. We need to say here, you know, we have this for you. We've got some areas that are shovel ready, our industrial park, you know, some of the, um, you know, the residential areas just to the north. I feel north of Brainerd, you know, along that Gilbert Lake area is a great, one of the greatest residential areas in the state, if you look at, you know, the aesthetics of the river, the parks, we've got the Arboretum. And I want you to know, back then, I was a big advocate to get that Arboretum off the ground. You know, I worked with um, Keila, or I'm trying to remember, oh, she was just a great lady. But anyway, I worked with that. And what we did is we took some tax forfeited properties from the county and just kept adding on to it and growing it and then built it pretty much on the state trail, the bike trail or, you know, right now. And then I was the person that found the Alm Farm right on the corner of Beaver Dam Road and um, uh, Wise Road. It was a 120-acre farm that was set up for development, 111 acres to be accurate. And what we did is we purchased that for $2,800 an acre. And that 111-acre park, which is now called Alm Park, um, is attached to the Arboretum. And what I wanted was a corridor between Baxter and Brainerd, kind of like, you know, the Central Park in New York. You know, we got this huge amount of green space, walking, that'll never be developed. And it goes, you know, there's about 2,000 acres in there, you know, with the Arboretum and what the city has, that it just lays there, that'll always be green. And before we got the city developed and growing, that was one of my keys. And the Arboretum in this park up there is great for future, you know, green space that won't get developed, gulped up by, you know, America's greed sometimes. Sure, sure. No, I hear you. Yep. And I, I mean, the Arboretum is, a, is, a, is gorgeous. It's, it is fantastic. How, when, when we look at that, that balance sheet problem, that, that yeah. math problem, and, and this is my critique of the airport project too, that, that is, is currently kind of progressing along, is we can fix our cash flow problem today uh, but what we do is we take on 
these really huge long-term liabilities and no one ever sits down and does the math on those transactions. No one ever says, all right, I can't say no one. I've done it. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, and I've shown it to your staff and they say, oh yeah, this is horrible. And then the recommendation is to keep doing it. Um, you know, I've shown them how the developments that we build, when you look at the tax revenue coming in from them, uh, it doesn't cover the road maintenance, the snow plowing, the, uh, you know, the, the maintaining of the ditches. Uh, it doesn't cover going back and, and fixing that road years from now. Uh, so these transactions to me seem to be, uh, you know, fixing the problem today. In other words, let it give us a little bit more cash to operate today, but putting us in a real long-term financial bind. So are you just saying it's just Brainerd that doesn't cash flow from these? No. Are you saying all cities? I, I'm saying, you know, when you develop in that pattern, it, it, yeah, it doesn't work. I've got a lot of examples from Brainerd. But, you know, if you said, Chuck, put, uh, put, you know, put, put a million dollar bet on what properties are going to do better over the next 30 years, uh, a, a house in Baxter or a house in Brainerd. There's no question it would be a house in Brainerd because Baxter is financed like a Ponzi scheme. I mean, they, they have, like you said, uh, way, way, way more land area than we do not as much tax base and, and not as many people. Well, that's Detroit's problem, right? Yep. You know, not enough people, too much stuff. Uh, that's basically the way that they built. When we build like Baxter, those developments tend to react in the same way. It's different when you look at North Brainerd, Northeast Brainerd, South Brainerd, even though those places are in decline and depressed, when you look at an acre or two acres of, of land there, we're getting a ton of tax base out of it. I mean, we're actually getting a, a lot of money. Um, so to me, you know, I, I think the question is, are we doing that math? And if we're not doing that math, why, why not? Why are we not asking those questions? You know, and, you, and I have to say that you've done a great job. I've seen some of the math that you've done on some of these different corridors versus mills versus this, and it's great, great math. Um, and it currently that's where it stands on that particular property. But if it starts devaluating, you know, and people don't fix it up, then the mass starts flipping the other way. So what you got to do is constantly bring in new <clears throat> and mix it with the old to keep this thing going. Um, you know, some areas you'll know that, you know, they get run down and then nobody wants to build a new house in a rundown area. So I try to keep the balance or try to keep some empty lots, try to keep something just to keep the, you know, building new with the old seems to be the best method. Let me ask you about that. Cause, cause let's go back to North Brainerd, yeah. which I think is the the nicest neighborhood we have. It's the original plat. It's the old neighborhood. It's got some of the nicest houses. Um, the current regulations in Brainerd basically say you can only put back what's there. You, you can have a single family home, yeah. uh, but we're going to limit your ability to have an accessory apartment that you rent we're not going to let you build a duplex. You can't buy that single family home in decline and, you know, tear it down and build something that would be in a neighborhood design, but with three or four units because the neighborhood doesn't want that. They don't want the, the growth yet. It seems like you're arguing. And I, I would certainly argue that if you don't have that growth and renewal, there's only one direction for the neighborhood to go. And that's kind of steady decline. 
is there do you agree with that is there a way to address that yeah and you got a good point and you know and i'm sure everybody that's listening here knows what their neighbors are on both sides and are going to hear me clear on this um if you have a house next door that's got a you know a family into it and all of a sudden that person decides to tear that house down and build an apartment next to you that's not why you moved into the area you moved into you know to be in a family neighborhood the problem with this you know condensing and getting apartments and getting more units is traffic and the traffic now i'm going to use and show you it's the opposite for residential you right know, you know, for commercial you want the traffic you're saying residential yeah, you, you, you don't want the traffic right. i live on a cul-de-sac and the reason i live on a cul-de-sac because it, my values will tend to stay higher in residential with no traffic. So I know my value when I purchase this property on a cul-de-sac will hold and maintain and I don't have to worry that the higher the traffic counts, the lower my residential value will go down. You don't want a lot of traffic in residential areas. So that's why, you know, people cringe when they hear about apartment complexes and, you know, more condensing is, residential areas. Is there a step though between the single family in the apartment. Because I, I agree, yeah. right now, w w our approach is you're a single family home or you're a really ugly, high density apartment. Yeah. And we, we don't seem to allow the progression in between. Yeah. Is there, we had the, the, the bad shooting incident. Yeah. And the reaction to that was, let's tear down this building. Let, let's get rid of this building, get rid of this place because it's just, and my response was, Let's get some more investment in this neighborhood. Uh, you know, right now, y there's no market incentive to do anything with that property other than let it decline and allow kind of the lowest common denominator of, of rentals to take place. If you could actually invest and improve that property, maybe not to an apartment, but to something a little bit better, now you can make some money doing it. We can get a, a, a better class of tenants in there. You know, yeah. is that is that conversation taking place anywhere? Well, and I tried that conversation, and as a matter of fact, one of the blogs, um, you know, really hammered me on it. But the particular owner of that, and I don't want to get into a lot of details, um, has had it for 16 years. And it's a, a um, uh, what, what would you call it, um, a story-and-a-half house. Right. Yeah, an older story-and-a-half house built in the 30s or 40s. You know, it's still got the slate siding on it, you know. Um, but... This owner's had it for 16 years, and it's, it's a fourplex, and has brought in, just doing the math, $320,000 worth of income. In, oh, no doubt. In, in the those, cash flow as well. Yeah, in yeah. 16 years. But the value of the place is around 80000 Right. And the doors are falling, the windows are falling. So the issue here is not too much, uh, you know, it's more the ownership taking some of that $320,000 and reinvesting. So the education has to be back to these landlords, including me, I'm a landlord, mm -hmm. that, you know, we got to reinvest in what are, you know, the value of reinvesting for our city and why we should do it. And that's where all of a sudden, you know, we get these policies and these ordinances and these laws that we create at the city because we don't get that investment back and people allow it to run down and then you have the opposite. And I'll tell you what happened in this house is there's no parking. You know, so basically it's a story and a half with four um, units, and there's really no parking. Parking for one or two of the – so – There's tons of parking on the street. Well, 
Yeah. Nobody yeah. parks on the street, even though you're allowed to. Well, the issue, you know, we live in Minnesota, for those that are way out. In Minnesota, we get a lot of snow from, you know, November through March. The plows are, the cost of plowing these streets and, a, and the place to put this snow and to get the traffic. This place is right across from the school, too. But anyway, you know, visibility with high snow banks, you know, between people's, on corners and intersections, it really becomes, you know, a hindrance in the wintertime with snow. So, yeah, I look at, you know, we got six months of, you know, we're, what we're talking about here. But in the wintertime, this parking issue with all the cars on the road, and then you try to get the snow pushed, and then the cars are stuck because you put this big six-foot ridge around their car. They get out, then we, they call us, and then we got to come back out there and plow the ridge over again, which becomes really costly to the city because we have to double plow everything when there's cars in, on the street in the wintertime. Um, and, and we understand that. So off-street parking is very important in snow areas. You know, areas in the south, I can understand that more. But for us, it's just that it becomes a huge cost in the wintertime. And the other thing is, you everybody that has a house out there, and I'm, I'm hoping there's, you know, a lot of people listening, you know, you don't like it when your neighbors are parked right out in front of your curb. You know, you look out and all of a sudden there's four cars, three cars in front of your curb, and, and it kind of feels like it's your area, and they're kind of infringing because their lot doesn't handle you know, the cars that should be there. So then people are looking out the front and they just hate those cars there. And what they do is either make a complaint or they move, you know, and they just pack up and leave because they just want that from house out to the center of the street is kind of their area. And when you start condensing, people start parking in other people's areas. And I ha it happens in Minneapolis because I go down and visit visit and if i park on somebody else's they're going how long are you going to be there and it's like seriously you know i'm just you know i'm going to visit somebody half a block up but there's no parking right you know and you understand and that. they want their taxes low yes. and they want the yeah, yeah. yep yep um i knew we'd ha have no problem going at least an hour we should <laughs> I, I i i i think we're we got to wrap it up we should do this again sometime we should um Last question for you, and then I yeah. want to give you a chance. To, if there's anything else no. you want to add, um, what do you what do you see the next ten, twenty years for Brainerd? I mean, what, what's your vision? How, how do we become more successful than we are today? And I'm not suggesting we're not successful, but how do we become more successful than we are today? What what, what do you think gets us the, there? The business mode, and everybody that's in the business world understands this. The very first thing is the the leadership's attitude. Now, my businesses were successful because I don't care what was thrown at me. You know, I came out, looked at it, and had an attitude of, you know, continuing handling this problem, continuing to grow, and solving the problems, but never looking and taking a step backwards. I try to implement that in, you know, in our city. I still feel that a lot of people have given up on the city of Brainerd. I have not. And I'm going to go just since I've been on the council. Whittier School was an empty building. It's now got a nice, you know, monastery school that's in there, and it's not empty. Wausau was empty. It's right now a big developer moved in with, you know, uh, Mike Higgins and trying to do something with it. You know, and I'm looking down the line at other businesses in town that have come in or tried to come in. And I'd like to see, you know, this new attitude. Royal Tire is talking about putting a, a million-dollar addition on you know, right downtown. Uh, we got Dunkin' Donuts that just bought out a place that moved in. We've got um, Zone Auto Parts moving into the west side thing there. I know there's a big development on Ace um, that's they're talking about right now. Caribou Coffee, 
has got a development going on, and I start seeing this buzz that's happening in town, and I'm just starting to think there's a lot more than what I just mentioned. Oh, we got a big, big business moving into our industrial park. As a matter of fact, I mentioned it last night. Um, they're going to build a 50,000-square-foot building in our industrial park, which, you know, is shovel-ready. Um, and I see this, and it's all because of attitude, and it's all because of, hey, you know, there is some hope in Brainerd. And I do see Brainerd turning around, and I do see these. And, you know, Anderson Brothers are excited about getting things going. I heard there's a business set up over there. We just had a, another business that started in the old ATEC building that that got bought. And now they want to annex into the city of Brainerd. Um, and, and you know where that is, right down Montana. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. sure. Yep. Uh, a nice business there, um, a manufacturing business, uh, working with the airport. And they basically moved there and bought that building, and, and it's been there vacant for a while, uh, a big building, because of what we're going to be doing with this development going up to the airport. So I, I see this buzz. I see this excitement. I see this growth in Brainerd that – I feel really, you know, and it all goes with us, and we got a great council that, you know, it's business open. So if we continue this, you're going to see that more coming together and people wanting. But, you know, just to stick a fork in Brainerd and say it's done, then people don't want to invest into the city, including me. I'm, I'm an investor myself. I have investments in Baxter and Brainerd. Um, I see the investments on both sides. And, you know, I think Brainerd's got a lot of life into it, and I think it's going to grow. So I'm pretty proud of it. All right. Gary Sheeler, is there, any, is there anything that you feel you have? I, I want to thank you tremendously because we, oh, yeah, no. we differ. Well, this on... is, for our listeners, this is what it sounds like for two Minnesotans to fight. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, we differ on so many issues, but yet we still have the passion. Chuck has a tremendous passion for the city of Brainerd, and he knows I do too. And we're both maybe going different ways trying to make it the best you know, city that we can. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate though. I like your thoughts, and I just want to say that I, to your listeners. You do a wonderful job up here. Well, we do disagree, and I think we have a different vision for what the city should be. Um, I respect the fact that you work really hard. <laughs> well, thank and, you. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it's a race to see, you know, who can out-hustle the other one, you, you beat me every time. Okay. So, I, well, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't take this job on if I don't try to do it the best I can. No, you – well, and I, I do think at the end of the day you're representing – you're representing the people that you have elected you. I don't think there's any question. I think my job, if I want to see something different happen here, I think I've got to convince more people than just you that it's got to be different. I mean, we've got the chamber, we've got a whole bunch of people lined up that, uh, you know, don't share my vision of what Brainerd should be. I think that's, that's my challenge. So. I think you made a difference, and I want you to know. I, I think so. I think you should feel some success. You know, at times I know there's frustration for both of us because yeah. I don't get what I want, and I know you don't either. But you should feel successful on on, on a lot of the issues you got. You you know, it's you, it's there. You just don't see it as colorful as you want it. Where's the uh, Where are the new jobs from College Drive? The new jobs? Yeah. As far as down I'm still waiting. Oh, <laughs> for the people that put College Drive in, they promise new jobs. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and I, it does help our government center downtown. You I know. know, I know. It it makes it easier for me to get to church. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you know what? I was not on the council during the College Drive, but I will. You know, I carry that on my shoulders. It was done and completed before I got. But I did support the project. You know, from the outside, so I'm not going to shy away from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I support the roundabouts. Yes. I just wanted it to be two lanes because I like two lanes, right? 
Yes. <laughs> All right. Gary Sheeler, Council President, City of Brainerd. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Tending bar down there at Eklund and Swedlin's last Tuesday, and this little guy's drinking, and he says, so where can a guy find some action? I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, what kind of action? And he says, woman action. What do I look like? And I says, well, what do I look like? I don't arrange that kind of thing. And he says, but I'm going crazy out there at the lake. And I says, yeah, but this ain't that kind of place. Uh-huh. He says, oh, so I get it. So you think I'm some kind of jerk for asking, only you don't use the word jerk. I understand. Then he calls me a jerk, says, last guy thought he's a jerk. He's dead now. So I don't say nothing. He says, what do you think about that? And I says, well, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, he says, yeah, that guy's dead, and I don't mean of old age. And then he says, geez, I'm going crazy out there at the lake. White Bear Lake? Yeah, well, at Eklund and Swedland, that's closer to Moose Lake, so I made that assumption. Oh, sure. Anyway, he's drinking at the bar, so I don't think a whole great deal of it, but then Mrs. Mora, she heard about the homicides down here and thought I should call it in, so I called it in. End of story. Well, what this guy look like, anyways? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Uh-huh. In what way? Oh, just in a general kind of way. Okay. Well, thanks a bunch, Mr. Mora. You're right. It's probably nothing. But thanks for calling her in. Sure. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Oh, yeah. We got a front coming in. Yeah, you got that right.